BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Good morning, peeps, and welcome to Look AF Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, recording not so live from the Brooklyn Solarium. Folks, I am taking a little bit of a break uh, this week, but don't you worry, you will be set up with brand new shows all week long because you're worth it. Um, you know, it, it strikes me that this week, I just want you all to wrap your mind around this. This week is 11 months since the insurrection. When the calendar year changes, we will be looking at the one year anniversary of an attempt to overthrow the government. And I don't know about you, but I sure as hell don't feel like our Department of Justice, this administration, um, the legal system in general, right, have done their due diligence and operated with a sense of fucking urgency that an attempt to overthrow the government in any other goddamn nation would have received. When I announced and shared with you all the fact that IDEA, a nonpartisan organization, international organization that has been following for decades um, democracies that are in danger, that are struggling, or numbering the amount of autocracies and authoritarian and dictator regimes that are around the globe, because it signals there are red flags and alarms that go off when you realize that there is a global shift that is happening. It isn't just something that is happening in the United States. But when this organization that has been doing this type of research for decades, for the first time ever, names the United States of America as a backsliding democracy, and it is not receiving wall-to-wall fucking media coverage the way that every cable outlet gave to Trump for free, 
when he was a candidate and then continued to do so after he became president and even still was spreading racism, xenophobia, misogyny, you name it, he was doing it and they still gave him airtime. But when an international organization that labels, right, democracies, authoritarian political regimes around the world says that in 2019, it became apparent that the United States was visibly deteriorating. That is what the report said. Again, you would think that alarm bells would be sounding, that there would be some type of, you know, force behind this administration to not only fucking roll out policy, which is important. And I'm not saying that it isn't, but what difference does it matter if we are building bridges and fixing subways, if we are living in a fascist regime, what difference does it make? Right. If we are talking about structures, when the actual foundation of our democracy is crumbling underneath our feet and no one seems to really give a shit that they still want to believe that we're going to have a functional midterm election. I want to tell, I want to alert you all to something that I came across, uh, on Friday of last week. And it was tweeted out by the president of the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, Sherilyn Eiffel. Folks, Ron DeSantis, the death Santis, the governor of Florida, is looking into and has made suggestions around creating a civilian army that only he would control, that would be the Florida army that would not, as he stated, be encumbered by Pentagon oversight. He rolled this out in a way that one, if they wanted to not pay attention to anything that has been going on in red states since 2020 and before that, right? With Donald Trump at the helm. He says that in order to, you know, combat, uh, increasing, uh, hurricanes and storms that we need essentially our own army and battalion. But then he also said that we need this as protection against the federal government, against a kind of socialist, right? What he alluded to regime. Ron DeSantis is saying out loud what all of us have been saying who have been paying attention to the fact that these motherfuckers want a civil war. This is why they are hailing the Kyle Rittenhouses of the world, because they are hopeful that with an acquittal, right? With a non, not guilty, it wasn't even an acquittal, with a not guilty verdict for murdering two people and wounding a third, that they can begin to recruit, right? These people 
to bear arms and take up arms against their own country. They are telling you with over 300 voter suppression laws that are at 400 by some calculations at this point in the past fucking year, on top of 400 voter suppression laws, now you have a governor of one of the largest states in the country saying that he wants to build his own army that only he will control. That he can then deploy said army against our national army and troops. I want you to wrap your fucking minds around this 11 months after we had an insurrection where these people who actively beat terrorized and killed members of the police, which they want to chant blue lives matter until blue lives are inconveniently in their way of hanging the vice president, right? Have received months in prison, maybe a couple of years. And now you have a governor that is telling you that he's going to build his own army. Who, what do you think is going to happen next? Right? What do you think that is going to happen in Georgia? Right? And in Texas. And all of those people that wanted to play G.I. Joe on 1 6, right? Many of which we learned were former or current military, former or current police, who are just itching to take up their arms, take up their arsenals and take down as many people as they possibly can. And then they will say, well, we were acting on what? Orders from, I guess, what? Ron DeSantis, the president of Florida? This is where this shit is headed. And you know, I continue... People are like, no, the Supreme Court's not going to take away Brown versus the Board of Education. When in fact, in her fucking confirmation hearing, Amy COVID Barrett made mention to the fact that Brown versus the Board of Education wasn't settled law. The law that desegregated schools in the United States, she believes is not settled law. So if you're looking at the actions being taken by the Supreme Court because you're paying attention to what Gorsuch and Kavanaugh and Roberts and COVID are saying. And then you're looking at now the announcement that Ron DeSantis is making in Florida, and then you take into consideration all of the voter suppression laws. I mean, my God, it is not a backsliding democracy. It is not a democracy. We are headed into minority rule in this country. This is American apartheid that they are setting up where you will have no legal fucking recourse because they have bought all of the judges. So just again, take a big picture look at what has been set up since early 2000s, since the Obama era. You had Mitch McConnell hold a Supreme Court seat hostage and say that he's going to make this president a one-term president. He holds a Supreme Court seat hostage for nine months without any 
fight back, push back, or legal action taken by the Obama administration. They just shrug and fucking take it. Then you have the installation, right, of a Donald Trump who stole the 2016 election because don't make me believe, right, that Putin and others who we learned did in fact interfere with the election, didn't place Donald Trump in power to begin with, right? So that's number two. Then you have number three, with 300 federal judges being planted around the country by Mitch McConnell, many of which who I continue to say the American Bar Association said they were unqualified for these lifetime positions. And there are folks as young as 30 fucking five that received those appointments. Ask me how many fucking federal judges Biden has sat as we get ready to come up upon the first year of his administration. You have that. Then you have a global health pandemic where you have a party that has become a pro-virus death cult. So that's going to continue to run rampant. And now we have a new variant that we need to wait about four to six weeks to figure out if it's going to be more deadly, more transmissible, if it's going to evade the vaccines, if you're going to need to get a booster now every fucking six months, every four months, who knows? But this is all a part of the Republican master plan. And to make, just to put insult to injury, Mitch McConnell then turns around and announces, guess what? Republicans don't have a platform for the midterm elections. They have no policies that they're going to offer. I want you to understand that Republicans haven't offered a policy to the American people, any type of legislative agenda. I don't even know if they did so in 2016. So we're going into what? Four, five, six years of Republicans being like, well, our base doesn't give a fuck about policy. They don't care about what is being provided by the federal government. They're only focused on what is being taken away. So when we get news, right, of the likes of Jeffrey Clark, who is an official in the Department of Justice who wrote a memo to undermine the election. He essentially was the white collar worker working to undermine the election and have it over, have it thrown out while their minions were using flagpoles and hockey sticks to beat down the walls of the Capitol building. Now, Jeffrey Clark, according to our friend Glenn Kirshner, who we will hear from in a little bit, is on the verge of pleading the fifth as to not incriminate himself. But we've all seen the letters that he put out in battleground states because Donald Trump said, we just need to have, you know, just some suspicion or some doubt that there is fraud in the election, even though we know that there is none. And then my Republican friends in Congress will handle the rest. Folks, we have all of the information, very, 
very clearly laid out in front of us, but we have a toothless and spineless Department of Justice and an administration that wants to believe that they're operating in the 20th century instead of recognizing that they are no longer working with the Republicans of yesteryear that they can debate with ideologically and then go and have drinks with after. These are people that are sharing images of killing another member of Congress. These are people that are literally stalking their colleagues around the Capitol as a way to intimidate and terrorize them. These are people that are showing up with guns on their hips. And now you have a governor who will probably be one, if Trump doesn't decide to run in 2024, will probably be one of the Republican potential candidates for president saying that he wants to create his own fucking army. But we're going to sit around and debate about the fucking filibuster. That's what we're doing. That only now after the after we recognize that there are but a couple of months until June when the decision will come down from the Supreme Court that Roe v. Wade is done. Now Democrats want to he and hum about possibly changing the courts, but instead of taking action in the way that Republicans continue to take action, they're just going to have a conversation about it. I am so fucking sick to death of everything that I am seeing take place. I mean, my God, the amount of evidence that shows that Donald Trump and every single one of his fucking associates is guilty of treason, right? Among many other things. Glenn will talk to us about the fact that, frankly, Donald Trump should have been arrested on January 21st, right? At 5 p.m. When Joe Biden became president of the United States and we already had the list of 10 obstruction offenses that were laid out to us in the Mueller report that could have been just taken to the DOJ and said, go, go to town, go do your fucking job. But no, they want to preserve an institution or as Susan Rice told us, they just want to turn the page. You want to turn the page? Read the fucking book. These people are going to town on our civil liberties. They are going to town on terrorism. They are doubling down on violence. And nothing is coming out in condemnation from the Republican Party and all the fucking Democrats are doing is sitting around wringing their hands or wanting to sell me literally a fucking bridge. These motherfuckers are stacking up weapons, right? They got itchy trigger fingers. They are celebrating murderers. This is only going in one direction, folks. So I don't know why we continue to pretend that we have an actual functioning democracy. It's not backsliding. It has blown the fuck up. This is what an implosion looks like. Now, we can sit around and say, never in my life did I think that I would get here. But the fact is, we are fucking here. We have a few months before the United States is, in fact, Gilead, right? There will be about 10 or 15 states, maybe, that women are going to be able to get an abortion in. And everywhere else is going to be outruled. And one of the things 
that I'm saying is that they're not stopping at abortion. They are coming for contraception. They are going for the board versus education. They are coming for marriage equality. At a time when we should be innovating and creating and expanding liberties to people, they are taking us back as my friend and co-host of Democracy Ish, Wajahat Ali had said this week, they are taking it back to 1953. And we are just going to continue to stand around and wait for this political party that is in power in the House, in the Senate, in the White House to do what exactly? Because I am telling you folks, we are just but a few more months away from taking to the streets. We are just but a few more months away for some major shit popping off in this country. And not in the way that Donald Trump wanted to get people hyped up on January 6th. I'm telling you, we are moments away from a powder keg fucking exploding over our heads. And everybody who has the ability to do something about it is pretending like they have no power. And I'm saying to myself, if this is what it looks like for Democrats to be in power, then my God, do they not deserve it? Because I'm at a point and I've said this before, and I'm not mincing words where I am at a point where I believe that this entire shit just needs to be burned down so that you can create fertile ground and build up something better. We are headed into the darkest days of this nation, the most violent days of this nation. And I want all of us to be vigilant because I want you to be safe. I don't want folks caught off guard, pretending that they didn't know that this could possibly happen. Because I'm telling you right now, you know, the other day, And I encourage you to head over to my Instagram page, right? At D2Cents, D-E-E-T-W-O-C-E-N-T-S, the same as on Twitter. And in one of the video series that I have done, one of them is called What the Fuck Happened? And I realized the other day that I did a 28-minute recording on January 5th, the night of January 5th before those motherfuckers stormed the Capitol. And I was outraged. I was outraged at the fact that nobody was doing anything that Donald Trump had tweeted, that there was going to be action that was going to happen. Things were going to be wild. And they did nothing. And when I sat there and I rewatched that video, I'm like, my God, the FBI had been warned. The CIA had been warned. The National Guard should have been fucking called in. But no, we saw that days after with them sleeping in the Capitol building. Remember that? On shift. But you see, they had already missed the shit that had actually gone down. Folks, we are in danger. We are in grave, grave danger. And... I want you all to prepare for 2022, because if you think that what we have seen was bad, then you ain't seen nothing yet. And this kind of tepid reaction from the insurrection committee, from the administration, from the Department of Justice is going to be the nail in democracy's coffin. Coming up next is my conversation with our friend, MSNBC legal analyst and host of Justice Matters, Glenn Kirshner. 
Folks, I am always so thrilled when I have the opportunity to sit down with our friend Glenn Kirshner, MSNBC legal analyst and the host of Justice Matters. Glenn, you know, there has been so much insurrection news. And unfortunately, the Insurrection Commission and the news that is coming out is getting lost with a lot of other news that we have been following and a lot of other cases. So I want, um, you know, the opportunity for you to bring us up to speed on some very significant moves that the commission has made and suggestions that have also been made. We hear Mark Meadows is finally, you know, deciding that he wants to cooperate. I want to know if that has anything to do with the criminal contempt charges being brought against Steve Bannon and other other things that we are learning um, about what happened on that faithful day. So tell us, you know, what what is what is the latest that we need to be paying attention to? So I think the most important and consequential development, Danielle, is that one of Donald Trump's high Department of Justice officials, Jeffrey Clark, is on the eve of invoking his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination for corruptly trying to overturn the election's results. That is earth shaking. And here's why. You now have one of Donald Trump's men inside the Department of Justice announcing to the world, if I were to testify truthfully before the House Select Committee, I would be incriminating myself. I would be telling everyone that I committed crimes against the United States to try to undermine the election's results. And we all know he did it with and for Donald Trump. So in a very real and provable sense, He's a co-conspirator in a conspiracy with Donald Trump to commit offenses against the United States, which is a precise criminal charge, 18 United States Code 371. The reason this is so earth shattering is it's the first kind of concrete example showing Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. Donald Trump had people inside the Department of Justice committing federal crimes to try to unlawfully keep him in power. The other reason it's really important is because now there is a conflict that is squarely presented to the Department of Justice. First of all, they have to criminally investigate one of their own who is on the eve of pleading the fifth um, to not for the Department of Justice to say, you know what, we're not going to investigate one of our own high officials would be cronyism at best. And it would be deeply sort of corrupt, abusive conduct at worst. They have to investigate this, right? The question then becomes, how do they investigate it? Mm -hmm. What's the vehicle? Because, you know, we don't like to have organizations investigate themselves. (laughs) We see how well that goes with the police departments. It doesn't go go really well. And it would be like, you know, Bill Barr looking at his own misconduct Mm -hmm. and clearing himself of any wrongdoing. Right. So I think this moves us pretty significantly in the direction of the need for a special counsel. Let's hope we get there. But I'm telling you, this is one of the biggest and most ominous developments for Donald Trump, um, that one of his own officials will be invoking the fifth. 
So, you know, over the course of the Trump administration, we knew that he was working, whether it was with Sessions or with Barr, to weaponize the Department of Justice. But what makes Jeffrey Clark's um, actions so egregious in compare? Like, I, I am still wondering, why haven't we seen a, a charge or a subpoena for Bill Barr, right? Like, so tell us why what was discovered with Jeffrey Clark and what he has been do what he did, right? Or what he potentially suggested in the letter that he wrote, um, that is different than where we have seen Bill Barr's criminality. Well, first of all, I hope Bill Barr is smarter than the Jeffrey Clarks of the world and certainly than the Steve Bannons and Roger Stones of the world. And I hope Bill Barr is quietly already talking with the folks who are investigating all of this. We don't know, but that may be one reason we haven't seen subpoenas for Bill Barr. Um, but, but setting that aside, what did Jeffrey Clark do? What Jeffrey Clark did was in a meeting with Donald Trump and others, Donald Trump said in substance, look, I know there's no fraud. Just say there was mm -hmm. fraud and leave the rest to me and my allies in Congress. That was an invitation to join a criminal conspiracy to overturn the election's results. And Jeffrey Clark took him up on it. He accepted Donald Trump's invitation and he joined the criminal conspiracy. We know that because he went back to the Department of Justice, put his nose to the grindstone and started drafting letters to election officials in the battleground states, giving them a blueprint to corruptly overturn the election's results. There's a technical term for what Jeffrey Clark did after he was invited to join the conspiracy and joined the conspiracy. It's called an overt act. In order to prove a conspiracy, you need to prove two or more people agreed to commit a crime. And, but, but you also need the added element that one of the co-conspirators did something that moved the conspiracy in the direction of committing that substantive crime, that crime they agreed to commit. That's called an overt act. And to prove a criminal conspiracy, you need at least one overt act. Jeffrey Clark committed that overt act very helpfully because Jeffrey Clark's culpability, his criminal culpability, couldn't be more clear, which is why he's finally doing the smart, wise, and I'm going to say legal thing, which is to invoke his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination because he assuredly has a legitimate Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. So let me ask this, because the letter... The letters that he put out are, in fact, public, right? We, we've seen them. So it isn't as if we don't have evidence, right, that Jeffrey Clark is saying, oh, I didn't write those, or it was a draft. And so is there, let's play, which I hate to do, devil's advocate. If you are the defense attorney for a Jeffrey Clark and he's saying, I'm acting in my official capacity because again, moving on the big lie, we believe that there was fraud and there was all of these things that they have said, right, in order to create over 300 voter suppression laws around the country in red states. Is there any, just like, not BS justification, but is there a real justification that a defense attorney could make no. on Clark's behalf? No, because Bill Barr, who was the top dog at the Department of Justice, for better or worse, based on all of the information he had available to him, concluded and told Donald Trump 
there was no systemic fraud that would undermine the election's results. You can't just be an underling at DOJ like Jeffrey Clark and say, I don't care. I'm going to say there was, because that's precisely what Donald Trump told him to do. Is there an argument that, that can be made in court that maybe they were all thinking they were acting legitimately? You can always make an argument right. in court. Give me three hours in front of a D.C. jury and I will shoot that argument of all 12 jurors. You know, I, I, I get so sick and tired, Danielle, mm -hmm. of the legal hand wringing and the navel gazing and the sec. Oh, my goodness. We don't want to get put it in front of 12 people in a jury box for gosh sakes, already. Bring the charge, try it to a jury, win, lose, or draw. You've done the right thing by the American people and by our democracy. It's not that hard unless you're petrified mm -hmm. of losing. And if we, we have DOJ officials who are petrified of losing, step aside and let somebody who's willing to fight the fight for the American people take over. What happens here if the Department of Justice, again, decides that they're going to either slow walk this or not. Again, what, what we have said and what we've been talking about for months, you and I, is the toothlessness, right? There's no teeth at this Department of Justice. We have given them months to show us, right, that they are not just about preserving an institution, but they are actually about preserving right? The trust and dignity and faith in this Department of Justice that it isn't just a slogan to say that no one is above the law if you're not going to prosecute people who are acting against the interests of the public. Because isn't this also treason? Am I, like, am, am I just making this up? But isn't this also, I mean, Jeffrey Clark might as well have had a, a, a poll like those people on the ground at the Capitol building forcing their way into the Capitol. What's the difference between the actions that he was taking behind closed doors and the actions that were taken physically on 1-6? Yeah, figuratively speaking, Jeffrey Clark was handing out the weapons to be used to try to kill our democracy. The polls, the bear spray. Um, that's what he was doing in a, in a very real but figurative sense. He was giving everybody the weapons they needed to try to corruptly, criminally overturn the election's results. So but but, you know, if you look back to Watergate and 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 the, the way that played out, you know, it started with lots of congressional investigations. And ultimately, after some time, it morphed into criminal indictments and prosecutions. So. I think if we pull back to 30,000 feet, our frustration is that the Department of Justice is not moving out quickly enough to protect and preserve public safety and, and the health and viability of our democracy. And we can criticize them all day long, and I will continue to do so. But I also think they're largely following the Watergate blueprint, where we've had 200, more than 250 interviews, all behind closed doors, of people who are providing the House Select Committee with information about the insurrection, including about Donald Trump's conduct. We just learned last night from Liz Cheney that they are curating all of that information that they're getting behind closed doors, and they are about to spend weeks and weeks in early 2022 showing it to all of us. And then I, I, 
I'm not a betting man. My betting limit is a dollar, but I would bet a buck. You're going to see criminal indictments start to come after that, just like we saw in Watergate. The, the difference between this and Watergate mm -hmm. is democracy is hanging by a thread. And there's a very real threat to public safety because Richard Nixon didn't continue to go out and try to kill our democracy. Right. Right. Donald Trump continues to try to kill our democracy and he continues to fool the gullible. Everything the Republicans say is an effort to keep the gullible in the Republican fold. And they're pretty successful because the gullible are easily fooled. So that's the difference between the two. But again, if you pull back, I think we are headed in that direction, albeit too slowly. So let's let's switch gears and talk about um, Mark Meadows for a minute, who, um, you know, this week it came out that he was going to cooperate. Right. And by virtue of everybody writing a book uh, on, on on their way out, because everyone needs to, you know, capitalize on the terror that they caused this country. Um, Meadows alerts us to the fact that Donald Trump was very aware that he had COVID when he was headed into the, the first presidential debate with Joe Biden. And because of that, he had an event in the Rose Garden. This was a, the Amy COVID, uh, Coney Barrett uh, uh, event. Um, he did the, the presidential debate, uh, flew on Air Force One, went back into the press corps. Again, you know, I, we, we talked about Bolsonaro in Brazil, right? And uh, the Senate there in Brazil looking into actual charges because of gross negligence in how he handled and is continuing to handle the crisis in Brazil. Given this information, once again, that we get in black and white, tell me about why, like, is there a case against Donald Trump for willful negligence? Yes, there's a case for criminal liability for avoidable COVID deaths. There is a case for civil liability. He was breathing all over Gold Star mothers, among others, not to mention Joe Biden at the debate, exposing them to COVID. Anybody who came into close contact with him and contracted COVID has a civil suit to bring. Doesn't guarantee they will win that civil suit. But Danielle, you can't win the case you don't bring in court. And we need to bring prosecutions. We need to be, you know, less concerned. I always told my prosecutors, it's more important to try cases than to win cases. Because when you're trying cases, you're doing your damnedest to vindicate the rights of victims. You're doing your damnedest to protect society. If you lose, if 12 jurors can't unanimously agree beyond a reasonable doubt of the defendant's guilt, that there's no shame in that. That's not like a failure that you should be embarrassed by. You should be embarrassed if your fear of losing keeps you out of the courtroom altogether. So there should be criminal cases brought against Donald Trump for avoidable COVID mm -hmm. deaths. There could be civil cases brought by the people he likely infected and put it in front of 12 jurors rather than trying to make all these decisions and talk yourself into, well, you know what? We might not be successful at the end of the day. So let's not bring the case.
because it feels like that's where we are on a lot of fronts. Because, you know, my, my, the, the, the only feeling that I have there, right, with, with, with regard to bringing cases, uh, particularly around COVID, is because it, it harkens back to when folks started to bring case, bring charges against people for deliberately and purposefully uh, infecting others with HIV, knowing yeah. that they were HIV positive, and then weaponizing their, the virus, Right. And, you know, I'm wondering here, Glenn, is that if that were to happen, if we see this case uh, or cases or a class action, right, does that then open up the floodgates for regular Americans who are refusing to get vaccinated and they may infect someone? Um, and how would, how would we, is it, is it the fear of initially prosecuting because this would just be opening up the floodgates or just a waterfall of effects of everyone suing anybody because this virus is so communicable. A couple of points. I was never a fan of the opening the floodgates or slippery slope argument. If what we're discussing is whether a viable suit, a, a triable case should be brought mm -hmm. because you have to look at each case on its own merits and decide if somebody has been harmed and if somebody should be held responsible for inflicting that harm, either under the criminal laws of our jurisdictions or under the civil procedures, if it's a civil case. Let the slippery slope and the floodgates arguments work themselves out, because that I don't think that's a good reason to decline to bring a meritorious case. Um, and if it does inspire more cases, maybe more cases should be brought and resolved by juries, you know? Right. So right. you have to take right. the first step on the road rather than finding a hundred reasons not to take the first step on the road to accountability. And then, you know, one of, one of the, the, the last questions that I have for you, because I, I want to pivot from this particular potential of cases and look at, again, what is happening on Capitol Hill with the, Republican members of the House, whether verbally or through visual aid, in the case of Paul Gosser, um, threatening and terrorizing their Democratic colleagues. Now, we're sitting around, right, waiting for Republicans to come out and condemn the actions of their caucus and their, you know, desire to I don't know, violently like attack their, their colleagues, right? Like we're no longer in a civilized place at the, at this moment when you're seeing the Lauren Boberts and the ghosters of the world, do those that are the victims of their terror, like a representative Ilhan Omar, like representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, for a lack of protection that seems to be coming from Democrats, do they have a case? Whether it is, you know, to say to the to the police, they need to stay 200 feet away from me, or, you know, I feel terrorized and they are threatening my life and safety, and I have a case there. Yeah, I think they have, um, they should assess whether they have a viable case to be brought against the Gosars of the world for threatening their lives. Um, it, it feels to me like they do. Now, mind you, for 30 years, I was a prosecutor, a criminal litigator, not a civil litigator, so I'm mm -hmm, not an expert mm -hmm. 
in that in that area of our practice. But look, Eric Swalwell has brought suit for what happened to him as a result of Donald Trump launching the insurrection, the attack on the Capitol. Uh, Representative Benny Thompson has brought suit. So these suits can and should be brought because, Danielle, nothing can be resolved by us just talking about it. It's like, well, what would happen if Gosar was charged or if civil suit was brought? It might, nothing can be resolved by just talking and ruminating. It can be resolved in a court of law. And let's face it, for all its flaws, the criminal justice system and our judiciary generally is one of the reasons we are still a democracy, <laughs> rejecting 65 election challenges, right? Right. Um, the Judge Waltons and the Judge Chutkins and the Judge Metas and the Judge Sullivans being the heroes of this period in our national history by doing everything they can to hold our corrupt government officials accountable. So let's move some of these matters into the courts. Let um, uh, let representatives who are being victimized mm-hmm. and attacked by mm-hmm. the Gosars of the world bring suit. Let's have judges decide whether it's a suit that's appropriately brought. It probably will be. And then let's have 12 people in the box decide whether Gosar had a right to do this against AOC or not. I'll take that case. I'll learn all I need to know about the civil law and I'll bring that case. And I predict we would we would win that case. You know, it's just, it's so disturbing to me, Glenn, because I feel like we're coming up against a time where you and I are going to have one of these conversations and something incredibly physically violent again will have happened. And we are going to be waiting. I mean, we're still waiting on real serious charges for the fact that people lost their life. On one six, and I keep saying, you know, this escalation in verbal attacks, in in visual attacks, it is just signaling, right, to the base that they're not done, right. When do we get to use our guns? Was overheard at like a a, a rally recently, and I I'm just, you know, my my last question is, you know, as we're moving, you know, very quickly to the end of the year, what are you thinking in terms of whether or not we're going to see the kind of accountability as the calendar year closes at the, that we, I mean, January 6th, we're coming up on, you know, an anniversary and we're still waiting. Yeah. You know, this highlights what I have always railed against, which is the timidity of federal prosecutors. I was one, I know thousands of them. And, you know, you can't paint with a broad brush and say all federal prosecutors take their darn time when it comes to investigating cases. But the reality is, Danielle, the state and local prosecutors make up 98 percent of the prosecutors in our nation. And what they do is they bring cases and bring cases and bring cases because a crime is committed and arrest is made and we're in court. That's what I did also in D.C., because we handled all the local prosecutions as well as the federal prosecutions. Federal prosecutors don't operate like that. They they think deep thoughts. They spend months or years in the grand jury, and then they deign whether the evidence is so bulletproof that they can't lose in in trial, and then they indict, or more 
more frequently, what they do is they negotiate a pre-indictment plea offer so they never have to try the case. Please don't misunderstand. Not all prosecutors, federal prosecutors operate that way. Right. But that is the culture and the practice of federal prosecutors. They don't have to arrest, indict, and get into court instantly. They have all the time in the world to investigate. And we are now seeing the downside of that culture and that practice, because this is something that should have been done at light speed. Donald Trump and his corrupt associates should have been arrested. Donald Trump should have been charged on January 21st for the 10 felony obstruction of justice counts that were meticulously documented and detailed by Bob Mueller in volume two of the Trump Russia report about which Bob Mueller testified, he can be charged when he leaves office. But unfortunately, that's not the way the Department of Justice operates. And now we see the downside to how the Department of Justice operates. I mean, I, I, I want to say that I am very interested to see what the commission is going to do. I'm very interested to seeing what the Department of Justice will do with Jeffrey Clark, uh, what will come of Mark Meadows' cooperation, um, and what we will learn after we, the public, get to be privy to the 250 interviews that have been done, which I believe should have been done in public and not behind closed doors because the insurrection did not happen behind closed doors. It happened in public. Uh, and the public should be a part of our investigation into, into what is happening. So, Glenn, as always, we appreciate you and we hope that we will continue this conversation and bring people some good news uh in the coming weeks i'll see you next week danielle that is it for me today dear friends on woke af as always power to the people and to all the people power get woke and stay woke as fuck Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. All-inclusive vacations make life easy with endless eats, bottomless drinks, and never-ending fun. So booking an all-inclusive vacation should be easy too, right? That's where Apple Vacations comes in. Book your all-inclusive getaway with Apple Vacations and receive exclusive perks at select resorts. You'll find the best deals to Hyatt, Zalara, Riviera Maya in Mexico and enjoy a selection of exclusive nonstop vacation flights. Turn on easy mode at applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Visit applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable.